Our scripture reading today comes from Leviticus 3, 1 through 5, and 7, 11 through 18. Leviticus 3, 1 through 5, and 7, 11 through 18. I will read it for us. If his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, a priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 11. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves uh, mixed with oil, unleavened wafers uh, smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood on the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice. And on the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the, of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with the fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. This is the word of the Lord for us. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, my God, my Redeemer, my Rock. In Jesus' name we pray. What's a common thing that children say during summer break? I'm bored. I'm bored. And I used to say this, when I said this in front of my grandfather, he told me, go and eat salt. It's a Korean reference that I have no idea. And so as a four-year-old child, I went to the pantry, and I got a spoonful of salt, and I ate it. Let me tell you, I was still bored but I was also very deeply confused. Now, when you eat salt by itself, it is not pleasant in its taste and its experience. But when you combine salt with food like meats and vegetables, it is wonderful and delightful. Leviticus is kind of like salt. Difficult to read, hard to understand, not really much we take away. When you read books like Leviticus, if it's part of your Bible reading plan, Times it feels very spiritually irrelevant and distant for the church and for the Christian today. But when Leviticus is read in the entirety of Scripture, when it's read in light of Christ and what he has done for us, it is utterly beautiful and glorious for the Christian and for the church. 
And this is really our aim for this sermon series. As we talk about the worship of the church, we look to the Levitical offerings. There is such great beauty hidden in the text that is unveiled and revealed because of Christ. And this is what we want to do for the church together here at KCPC. How? John Piper shares this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Each of these offerings were a picture of the perfect sacrifice of Christ. Every single offering teaches us some different aspect of the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And there's nothing more glorifying to God than when people see the Son, see his Son, to see the work he has done. True doctrine that results in joyous doxology. The more I witness Christ, the more I witness his love and his grace, the more I treasure and am satisfied by Christ and what Jesus has done for sinners, that it will result in greater worship in spirit and in truth. And I have the privilege and honor today to speak about the peace offering. And the goal this morning is to see the ways and how the peace offering helps and really enhances our worship to be more gospel-centered. And so to structure our time together, I want to share three points to us so that we can really have a time of consistency and clarity. The order of the peace offering, the act of the peace offering, and the portion of the peace offering. First, the order of the peace offering. When you read the peace offering, it's it's unique. When you read it in Leviticus 3, it is third in order when it comes to the teaching to the Levitical priests and to the way that we read scripture. However, the the, the peace offering is really last in the experience of the offerer. The offerer, as they go through the offerings, the peace offering was reserved for the last offering. And why is this important? Is there any way for a sinner to approach God? Yes. These were the offerings that were divinely given in order that the sinner can approach God. The offerer gave a burnt offering, a life for a life, a whole life for one whole life. Another life was laid down because mine deserves to be laid down by consuming fire by faith. A grain offering. The offerer gave a grain offering. The perfection of this offering covered for my imperfections by faith. The offerer gave a sin offering, atoning the life and gift of the, in, the guilt of the individual sinner by spilling and sprinkling the blood of another by faith. And finally, the offerer gave a guilt offering, seeking forgiveness and payment and restitution for the sins that fractures God's community and creation by faith. And after these four offerings were made, the peace offering followed. And what the peace offering essentially was Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. God, I celebrate you. Because after all these offerings were made, whether in single or in combination, there was symbolically now peace with God. The anger and wrath of God has been consumed in the offerings and not in the offerer. And this brought celebration. And Israel not only heard about the wrath of God, the stories of Noah and the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah and others, but they were firsthand, they saw the wrath of God in their, with their own eyes, with Pharaoh and Egypt. They saw the terrifying wrath of God. 
And so it's for the offerer to hear that the wrath of God and the anger of God has been consumed, and now they have peace with God. This was utter good news for the offerer. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. And now I have peace with God, and peace, God has peace with me. So then the peace offering was a celebration, a time of joy which was expressed by a meal with God, priests, and the friends and family, which we will talk about later. But I want to ask us a question. Do you lack joy in your worship? Does 2E worship service lack joy and celebration? Is celebration lacking, absent in your worship individually and corporately together here as a church? You know, I'm not asking this in a rebuking sense. I'm really asking to really ask and think about our hearts. Is Sunday worship a place of great joy? You know, it's those conversations that happen every Sunday, right after in fellowship, while we're driving with our spouses, as we're getting coffee with our friends. We make these comments. You know, the praise today wasn't so good. It was too loud. Oh, it was too quiet. You know, the sermon really felt disconnected. You know, I really wished for another preacher today, Pastor David Moon. The lights are too dark. The lights are too light. There are too many people here. There are too little people here. And we have solutions. We think of solutions that may bring more joy here in this place of worship. You know what will make this place better? You know what will make more joy? Better coffee. Better seats. These seats are way too hard. A new vision, a new ministry name, a new logo. You know, we need, we need more curtains here. We need more formal wear. We need less formal wear. And the list goes on and on with the ways that we think might bring joy to this place. And I'm not trying to discredit these things. Some of these points may be very valid and reasonable for the church, for us to think through, to pray and decide on. But what if, what if? What if we're putting too much of our focus and priority on things that we're not meant to bring and produce joy? I've been guilty of this. I stand right with you. As a worshiper myself, and as a leader myself, and as a pastor myself, I've been guilty of this. That I try to hit on low-hanging fruits, hoping that these things would genuinely bring more joy into worship. You know, I had uh, some time off. And in my time off, I took 2E worship virtually. And I caught myself making so many small comments to my wife. Why is the worship this way? This could be better. You know, that worship, my complaint robbed me of worshiping God and having full joy. What if worship wasn't so much, so much centered on the experience, but centered on the one who gives joy? What if our concerns and our focus is more on whether God is being worshipped faithfully rather than our comforts, our preferences, and our desires? That the worship is dictated by God's instructions, His words, and His will, not by our hearts and our emotions and our comforts and what's trendy across other churches. What if Christ and the work on the cross was enough that even if things fail us in our preferences, even if things don't meet our expectations, that we leave this room joyful because God is glorified and worshipped and that we have peace with God. 
What if the good news was good news? This is what the peace offering is all about. The peace offering always had, when you read it, always had as the context the four other offerings. The four other offerings. The peace offering always sat, rested on the burnt offering, the already burnt offering, and always sat on there. What does that mean? The only reason, the only reason I have peace with God, the only reason that the anger and wrath of God has been turned away from me, the only reason I have a relationship with him and I have fellowship with God is because the life of another, that a price had been paid, not by my life, not by my blood, and not by my righteousness, as I am the actual offender, and that would be just, but by the life of another, by their life, by their righteousness, by their blood and life. And that is mercy and grace. God, why did you do it this way? It is unfair. That is grace. The wrath of God has been turned away from the sinner because a price had been paid. What grace, what mercy. Why are you so mindful of man? Hallelujah. But no matter how flawless this substitute was, no matter how flawless these substitutes and these offerings were, they were but an animal. And an animal did not equate to the life and value of a human being, to an image bearer of God. This was a mere temporary solution. The Israelites longed for that day when that perfect substitute, perfect once-for-all offering would be made and the wrath of God would be completely satisfied and the peace of God would be fully realized. Christian, do you know that that day has come for you and me? Christ. If you are in Christ, you have complete, eternal, and perfect peace and fellowship with God by faith, not based on you, not based on your morality, not based on your failures, not based on our sin, not based on our brokenness, but based on Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, there is peace with God, not on the basis of us or on the way that you live or the way that you fail to live, but on the righteousness of another Christ. Blood was shed for you, body broken for you, body burned for you, perfection covered for you, the cost graciously paid for you. Is this the heart of our worship? Is this what brings us joy? Is this our utter concern for worship? more than what's around us here. This is why we worship. The peace offer always looked back to the other offerings. And from there, they gave peace. From there, they gave celebration. From there, they gave joy. We have a clearer picture than the offerer did in the Old Testament. We look to the cross. We see what Jesus has done. We see that the anger and wrath of God had been poured into him. That for the Christian, that we both, you and I, realize that we do not face a day of judgment, but that the day of judgment had been put into Christ when he was on the cross. So when Christ comes again, it's a day of worship and celebration because we are now in him. This is why we worship. This is why we worship, because we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, because of the righteousness of Christ, I have great joy. And because I have great joy, in order to express my joy, I worship God. This is what the peace offering teaches us, that at the heart of the peace offering, it was a celebration. It was not an offering 
of looking and seeking for peace. I want peace, God. I want peace, and I'm here to worship you, to look for peace. But, off, but this peace offering was a declaration to say, I have peace. When we worship God here, what we're declaring is that we have the peace of God by his grace and mercy because of Christ. Amen. That is what we do when we worship here. We're declaring to the world, we're declaring to the Lord and to all the hosts of heaven that I have peace with God. And it is a gift. True, joyous, celebratory worship is not based on my righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. Not what I have done, not what I am doing, not what I will do, but what Christ has done for me. Christ is what brings true peace with God. May our worship, may this worship, may 2E worship be centered on the peace of God that we have because of Christ that would lead to greater joy and greater joy that leads to greater worship. Not because we're doing things right, not because things feel right, but because we've been made right by Christ. Second, the act of the peace offering. What did the offering, what did the offer have to do and what did they have to bring? If you look at chapter 3 and verses 1, 6, and 12, they had to bring either bull, sheep, or goat. And this time, it can be either male or female. And again, it had to be without blemish because this represented Christ. It had to be perfect. And if you read verses 1 to 2, we get to see what the offer had to do. They had to place their hand to symbolically transfer sin into this animal on their head. And the offerer had to kill this offering themselves at the door of the tent of meeting because the sins of the offerer was responsible for the death of the animal. The animal was handed to the priest, and the priest threw blood against the sides of the altar. The priest then divided it into three portions, where God's portion was burned on top of the burnt offering. The second portion given to the priest, and the last, the remaining, to the offerer. And if you also read in chapter 7, verse 12 and 13, as we've read, the offerer was also required to bring grain. Similar to the grain offering, as we spoke about last week, but when you read carefully, it's a lot more scaled down, a scaled down version of the grain offering. And none of the grain offering was burned, but offered to the Lord as a gift completely. And then God gave, them, gave it back to the priest and to the offerer. Now, for our keen observers, as you're hearing this and as you're looking through chapter 3 and 7, you may notice that the peace offering, it's reminiscent of the other four offerings. And you would be right. The peace offering is a summary offering with elements of all four of the other offerings literally built in to the peace offering. And a good follow-up question would be this. If the peace offering is a thank you, the offerer symbolically has already been received by God, why does the offerer need to bring another animal to be sacrificed? Why bring grain again? Why this repetition is there a difference? Why would God do it this way? And here's, here's an answer. How many of us want to live lives pleasing to God? How many of us want to live holy, transformative lives, changed by the gospel? And I think if you are a Christian, we genuinely all want to. We all want to. We want to live holy, righteous lives. 
And so one time we hear a great sermon one Sunday, and it really motivates us. I want to live a holy life. I want to be righteous before the Lord. I want to be a living sacrifice to the Lord. And then Monday hits. We fail. And then Tuesday, a little bit better, but not what I dreamed of on Sunday, these dreams I had, these prayers I had on Sunday. And Tuesday hits, and it was, it was okay. Wednesday, uh, Wednesdays are always tough. So by Wednesday, I'm just like, ah, I don't know what to do. Thursday, Friday, we're so busy with work to catch up for the weekend. By Saturday, you just want some rest because you've had a long week, and so it's a treat-yourself day. And then by Sunday, as we walk into this church, as we walk here to worship, we're riddled with shame and guilt and self-hatred because we failed. We come into Sunday worship with a heart downcast and discouraged because I failed. And so what's our response? Okay, preacher, bring it again. Motivate me again. Hear, I want to hear that word again. I'm going to try harder this time. You know what? I've learned from my mistakes. I've learned, and I'm going to do way better this week. And then the cycle repeats. And then essentially, uh, we burn out. And if you've w- walked the Christian faith long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like we're trying to make twice as many bricks, but without any straw or any hay. John, John Calvin says this, I call piety that reverence join with the love of God, which the knowledge of his benefits induces. For until men recognize that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that he is the author of their every good, that they should seek nothing beyond him, they will never yield him willing service. Nay, unless they establish their complete happiness in him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. Here's what this means. You know, if you're feeling cold or dry in your faith right now, you're going through a season where it's tough. I I want to be right with God. I want to live right for him. The answer isn't to do more. Because we've tried that. Do more, do more, do more. The answer isn't to do more, but it's to go back to the source that gives us joy that induces and produces joy and reverence, which is the knowledge of Christ. This is where we are filled. Or in other words, very simply, it's when we worship. It's when we worship. The way that God has called us to be his believers, before the things we do for God, all of the things that are produced and induced by the knowledge of God. And And we need to hear the benefits that we have in him. And it says, Paul says in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the benefit that we have. That we have the peace of God. That we have the peace of God, a peace that even when the storm comes, our house does not shake because our foundation is on the Lord See, the peace offering had all the other offerings built in because the offerer would remember, would have to remember what had happened to him, what had happened to the sinner saved by grace. It was a gospel reenactment to remember the cost and the story that you were indeed accepted by the God you offended by the life of another. It was a grace that was costly. And out of this Lo, their worship and celebration to God. 
that even if you failed this past week in your holiness, even if you failed this past week in wanting to live for the Lord, the anger of God does not hang over you, Christian. That all of the anger and wrath of God has been perfectly poured into Christ. But you know, many times we live as if God is still angry and disappointed and upset with us. If you were to die right now, where would you go? Would you be in Christ? And you know, sometimes when we think about that question, we immediately, for some of us, think of, did I read the Bible enough this week? Did I pray enough this week? Did I spend time with him this week? See what we're doing? We're basing our justification on the way that we're living our life. And that is not the gospel. This is what the gospel has accomplished for us to overcome. That we're not saved based on how we live, but saved based on what Christ has done for us. And that the only thing that is remaining of God is love of the Father, love of God. And this God isn't some flimsy God. No, this God is good. He is good. He is powerful. And that is the love that we have with him, the peace that we have with him. Out of this will flow our worship and celebration of God. What can revive the heart? What can revive the heart that has become so numb? What can revive the heart that has become so cold? To remember Christ. To remember his works. To go back to the cross. Paul Tripp, if I were to recommend a book, is a book called Dangerous Calling. It's a book for ministry leaders and pastors, but as he writes in the book as well, every Christian should read this book. And Paul Tripp spoke about one of the dangers of the Christian when the grace of God becomes all too familiar and it becomes normalized. The danger of losing your awe factor in worship and the danger of faith arrival. We see what the offerer had to do as they were giving the peace offering. They had to kill the animal again to, to be reminded, this was my death. It wasn't an offering. It was a reminder. This was my death. And he had to kill it himself to be reminded that my death deserved this. And it brought him back to worship. It brought him back. And he realized why the grace of God was so genuinely good and real. And it brought worship. That every day we, are, we, we remind ourselves, I am deeply, deeply broken. But I am deeply loved by God. That I am in desperate need of your help today, God, daily. Are you dry in your faith right now? Are you burnt out? The answer isn't to do more, nor is it to do less. But it is to hear and worship what God has done for you. This will revive the human heart. That Jesus Christ didn't just die for us, but he died as us. And when that truth, when that news becomes music to the heart, it becomes beautiful. It doesn't just become this intellectual exercise, but it becomes a transformative work in the heart. This is when we will experience revival again. The peace offering teaches us that an important element in our worship is to remember that as we walk through these doors, as we come to church every Sunday, that there should be a story that we share to ourselves always. I do not deserve to be here. It is because of the life of another that I am able to come worship God. It is because of the life of another that I, as I sing here and participate in worship, that it was because that there was somebody who laid his life down so that I can have peace with God, that I can worship. 
that I live day by day because of a life of another. Here's some applications. The peace offering was always burned on the already burnt offering. The burnt offering, if, you, if, you re, if, you, if, if we heard, it was always burned twice a day. It was offered twice a day. So the peace offering was not restricted. The peace offering was not the special occasion. The peace offering was available daily, twice a day. And the spiritually transformed heart. We take advantage. If you read the peace offering, it, is, it comes with a very high cost. Another animal, more grain. You see, the spiritually transformed heart doesn't look at those costs, but sees the cost that Jesus paid voluntarily worships God daily. And so what are we so unwilling to give up to worship God daily? What is the cost for you? Is it your time? Is it your comfort? Look at Christ. And he is worthy of being pursued and treasured daily. Finally, the portion of the peace offering, the portion, how it was divided. How was the peace offering divided and what was going on here? There were parties involved in the peace offering, three parties, and it was a communal meal. And if you look as you read, God had his portion. And the portion that he got were the kidneys, the livers, the liver, and the tail with the fat, the choicest portions. Why the kidney? Because the kidney was seen as the seed of emotion. The way that we say our heart is the seed of emotion. In the Old Testament time, it was the kidney that was the seed of emotion. And so giving that refers to the heart, that we gave the, our hearts to the Lord. And that, that's why the kidney was reserved for God with the fat. The liver, why the liver? Because it was the largest and the heaviest of all the organs. And so which signified total commitment to God, that I am totally committed to you and my entire weight falls on you, the, on you, Lord. And the tail, why the tail? Because it was delicious. You eat oxtail soup, right? It's delicious. So the tail, because it was a delicacy, it was given to the Lord because it was the best. It was the best. Some Israelites would never taste tail because they always gave it to the Lord. These were all burned up on the already burnt offering. Symbolically, God eating his portion. Second, the priest. The priest was given the breast of the animal, the right shoulder, and each of the baked grain. And the entire peace offering belonged to God, everything. And it was God who gave the priests these foods in support of their ministry. And so the priests and his family, they would eat meat and the grain. And then there was the offerer who was given the rest. And the offerer was, would bring and invite his friends and family to celebrate the peace offering together, that I am a sinner saved by grace. I am free from the wrath of God. And so there was a communal gathering together. And for the most average Israelites, this was the only time they got to eat meat, a time that was of joy celebration, really, really good celebration. And one of the requirements, as you read carefully in chapter 7, one of the requirements was for the food to be eaten within either one day or within two days. And any leftover of the third, any leftover, if it were to be leftover on the third day, must be burned with fire. Why? What, what's going on there? Why is that? And here is the reason. What is holy given by God. Remember, God is the one who gave these offerings. That for something to experience rot would never be, should never be, and especially when we consider the context, this was a desert with no refrigeration. So the food can easily get rotten very fast. 
And so everything must be in within one or two days. But there's something else going on here. There's something else going on. Remember, these offerings were always a picture of Christ. Always a picture of Christ. And so if the picture of Christ were to stay rotting and dead on the third day, there would be a disconnect to what God is trying to do in his story of redemption. The story of Christ foreshadowing his death and resurrection that Christ would raise on his third day. And so the offer was always, and the priest would always have to burn everything on the third day because they would look to Christ. Peace with God was celebrated with a meal, always, the peace offering. God, the priest, and his people communally gathered, and they ate together. And this meal was only for the people of God, or in other words, it was for family. You are now part of the family of God. You are not an enemy. You're not an orphan. You are part of the family of God. God is inviting you to the community of his trinity to eat together with him. And they all ate together. And this was a foreshadow of the Lord's Supper. Jesus taught later, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing, it broke and gave given thanks because he gave it to them saying, drink all of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. You know, I long for the time that we can do the Lord's Supper here again as our, our church. Here's something that we can learn about what the Lord's Suppering is. The Lord's Suppering is not an offering. It is not a sacrifice. Lord's offering is worship. We're giving thanks. We're giving thanks because the offering and the sacrifice has been fully paid in Christ. We are giving thanks to him. And just as the Israelites ate with God, we are spiritually united with God as we eat. And our high priest is there interceding for us. And as we eat and drink the Lord's Supper, Jesus finishes, I will teach, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, there's a hymn that I, I, I just love hymns these days, and I want to share this hymn with you that just has, that really grounds us in hope and the peace that we can have with God. I'm invited to a supper. Tis a marriage feast and grand. Tis the greatest of all banquets ever known on sea or land. There will be countless hosts of guests, the bridegroom and the bride, and all who to this supper go on shining clouds shall ride. Yes, I have an invitation. I can take my friends along. There is only one condition. You must know redemption's song. So then put your wedding garments on, for you cannot do it there. The wedding bells are soon to ring. You have no time to spare. When the bridegroom drops these blessed hands and says the last amen, the saints respond with one accord and the angels sing again. Glory, glory be to him whose blood hath washed us from our sins and missed the splendors of the scene. The marriage feast begins. When we worship, what we're declaring is that we're doing, we're doing what we're going to do for eternity. The reason why we have peace with God is because we know how the story ends. We will be with God. And so we worship in security. We worship full faith that our God is with us. He loves us. He knows us. We have the peace of God and that our worship is a declaration of that peace. Lord, we pray and thank you. Lord, may we cherish your word. May we treasure your word. And God, for those of us who feel defeated, 
for those of us who feel so ashamed that when we think about the way that you think of us, we, we think that you're upset, disappointed, angry, disheartened. But Lord, dispel all these voices. And Lord, may the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord, be made known. We are loved. We are fully accepted because of Christ. And not an ounce of your love can be taken away. And that your cup overflows into my heart. Christ. And so, Lord, may our people enjoy the peace they have with God because of Christ. And Lord, may that result worship to you, joy to you, glory to you, and satisfaction. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.